Before we get there, let me, let's go back and uh, just do something right now. Let's just say Happy New Year. It's good to see all of you guys. Uh, in fact, why don't you turn around and say that to somebody close to you. Give them a hug and a handshake. Just tell them Happy New Year. It is good to see all of you back here today, and I'm glad that you made it on this morning. If you did stay to, till midnight to see the ball drop, etc., then wake up, all right? I just got to make sure we say that, all right? Uh, uh, because this is going to be epic. We've got a great day to look forward to, and, and I'm looking forward to what God's going to do today and even as we go into this, this new year. Now, with that being said, what I've discovered, and maybe you all would agree with this, the word epic in our culture, has, has quite a distorted view of how it really started. In fact, here's a quote that I read several times as researching this. A repeated description of the word epic, it's the most annoying and overused word in our society. Okay? Uh, what it's become to mean now, it's an adjective in today's term. It's a descriptive word that means something when, you, when it's bigger than huge, it's epic. Okay? Uh, we have epic fails. We have epic wins. You can have an epic slice of pizza, right? If you just don't know how to describe it any bigger, you use the word epic. Well, truthfully, the word epic had a very, uh, very different uh, beginnings. It actually was a noun in the very beginning that referred to a, uh, a, a narrative of heroism. It was, about, it was usually a lengthy story of a hero that, that through the ups and downs of life and this long term came to a point where he did something phenomenal for his culture, for his country. Sometimes they were fictional, sometimes they were real life. But it was this, this narrative of heroes is what the word epic truly comes from. As, as you notice on this opening video, uh, we're wanting today to compare that word into your life. The idea of, of your life story being epic. <laughs> Let me just stop there and think about that for a moment. Have you ever thought of your life as potentially being epic? Having heroic qualities of doing something in, in that fashion that, that you could re refer to it as epic. But as we saw on that opening video, one thing I want you to get to understand is if that's true, what we're pointing out today is ultimately if, if our lives are epic, God is the hero in that. He's the one that does the victory winning. He's the one that does something in our lives. He's the one that ultimately, if, if our life is epic, he's the one that gets the glory for it. That's what we want to understand is that God does have something in, in mind for you, a plan for you. And, and the idea is, could it be epic? Could it be something where God has that, that big of a, a picture in mind for you? We're here at the start of a new year, literally, first day of 2017. Uh, some of you are, are like me. You like to reflect over the past. You like to kind of recalculate things. You like to, you know, to make some revisions. And, and usually that involves some kind of resolutions and some plans for what you're going to do. And, and if that's where you are, I, I have a warning for all of us like that. Sometimes we get a little too stressed about that sometimes. This past couple of weeks, my wife always hates the last two weeks of the year because I am just bonkers over what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. I just, I, I want to do it, and I want to do it now, and I want to see it happen, and I want to see it happen overnight, right? So if, if that's you and you're with me, let's just, let's just breathe, okay? Take a sip of that coffee. Grab another cookie on your way out. You know, let's just breathe and relax a little bit. But there is something to be said for what, what are we going to do in this, in this next year? Some of you, a new year is not that big a deal. I mean, it's just another day on the calendar, right? I mean, other than a big day for football, <laughs> there's not a lot of other stuff that you're really too concerned about in this new year. And, and, and I thought about that. Maybe, maybe part of it's your perspective. Maybe for some of you, you've got so much other junk going on right now or other issues or other things going on, you're just wanting to get through today. You're not too worried about what you're going to do the rest of the year. You're just, you've got stuff happening right now and what's going on, and you're just hoping that, that today kind of works on. And, and that's where, where some of us may find ourselves. Some of you, I, I have a feeling that New Year's doesn't mean too much to you because you've, you've been down the road of dreams and goals and it didn't work out too well. And so you've kind of written those things off as it really doesn't work. 
you get your expectations up and they get shattered and you think, I just don't really want to go there again. <laughs> Last night we were, uh, we were watching the ball drops in New York on our time, 11 o'clock, right? So at 11 o'clock we're watching it. And I don't know if you were watching the same channel we were, but we were watching the channel and they showed the ball and they were counting down five, four, and we're waiting to see the ball drop, three, two, one. And we never saw the ball drop. They just turned the camera. We're like, wait a second. What just happened? All that expectation of seeing this beautiful million-dollar ball fall, and we, we never saw it, right? Sometimes that's what the whole dream thing is like. We get these expectations and goals, and I've been there, and when they don't work, so why do it again? Why go through that? Why worry about this, this new year and these, these kind of ideas? Some of you might just be at that age or stage in life where you don't really see dreams and goals as that necessary. I mean, your biggest dream and goal is just get all these bones up every morning, right? Just to make sure that they're still headed out the door. And so dreams and goals, really, that's not something that's on your radar because you're just, you're just literally, it's just, it's just today. It's just getting past this. Here's what I want us to think about. Even to just, just think in your heart that perhaps your story that God's writing for you could be epic and what that would look like and what that would mean for, for our lives. Now, we've been studying this past fall through the story, and uh, if, you're, if you're a guest of ours today and you don't have one of these books, please pick one up on the way out as our gift. And it just, because this is a kind of a journey we've been going through, and it's been taking, we're taking the Bible, we're walking through an overview fashion from Genesis to Revelation, we're looking at that. And before we took a break in December, uh, we, we, we left off with one very important character in the Scriptures, and today we're going to pick up as we talk about this, this idea, and because I think this character's one of the ideas is uh, th- about going to be epic, it would refer to this particular character in scriptures. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, um, you've heard of this character. If you've ever, now, the, the idea we're learning and we understand is the main character in all of scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is Jesus. It's all pointing to him, okay? We get that. But... One thing you can say with, with very much certainty is the, besides Jesus, the one character of Scripture that, that uh, if you would, eats up more verses than any other character in Scripture is the one that we're going to, to talk about today. It's, and it's not Abraham, it's not Moses, it's not Paul. This particular character is, is written heavily about in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 75 of the Psalms. He's the first person besides Jesus, after Jesus, excuse me, the first person after Jesus mentioned in the New Testament. And he's the last person written about in the New Testament, in the whole Bible, aside from Jesus. This is, this is who he is, and his name is just splattered throughout the scriptures in all kinds of different ways. How many can tell me what his name is? Well, hopefully you were watching the opening video because it gave his name, okay? So, spoiler alert, yeah, we're talking about David, okay? We're talking about this character who just seems larger than life as we walk through the scriptures. And and you'll see on the screen this picture, this epic picture, even the sculpture of of David, Michelangelo's picture of who he was, right? This is something that, and and when you want to talk about the definition of epic, it would probably be right along the line with who David was, at least as we understand him. I mean, this figure of, of his heroism, and, and it clearly fits in, in the stories that we understand. There's probably a lot of stories that you, some of you may know about David, but I have a feeling that the most famous story of all is David and Goliath, right? The story, and, and it's a story, a true story, and it's one that we love to tell, and I've always been a part, and, all, and I'm always Goliath for some reason in the story. But you understand, we, we love the story, but then it's been used in, in so many other fashions, and it's been applied to so many things. Sports teams talk about, you know, taking on the giant and, and the little guy, or, or businesses use it as a motivational tool. It's one of those huge ideas in the Scripture. Now, what we're going to talk about today, obviously we're not going to do this as a series through David, and we don't have a time in one service to talk about all of David's life. So let me just give you kind of a summary of some of the highlights of David, just to get you to remind, remember who he is, okay? One of the things the Bible tells us about David was, as we see him, first thing we see of him is he is a shepherd, okay? So keep the idea of a shepherd in mind. He, is, he was a shepherd when he was introduced to Samuel. Uh, he's later called the shepherd of God's people. So that's kind of a, a, an understanding of who David was. The second thing that you're going to be introduced to David about, the very next passage, is he was also a musician. He played a harp. 
Now, I don't have a harp. I couldn't play a harp. I can't play a guitar, but I'll hold one and look like I can, all right? He, this is, David was a, a musician. He would play his harp to, uh, to soothe the king, and Chris is getting nervous. I'll put this thing down. But anyway, um, later in his life, towards the end, he would be referred to as the sweet singer of Israel. Okay, so we know David as a shepherd, we know him as a musician, as a singer, but one of the biggest things that a lot of people know of is he would be considered a warrior. Now, his warrior started with one of these, probably didn't look quite like this, but Dennis the Menace would love this, okay? He started off because his first battle was Goliath, and he had five stones and a slingshot, right? But from that, it launched him into this idea of a warrior where he picked up the sword and led his, led his people, led his battle, and, and became one of the greatest warriors that Israel would ever know, okay? So we have a shepherd we have, who is a singer, who is a warrior, but obviously the thing that we remember or the thing that the Bible talks about most often is as David the king. King David and, and his throne. Now, understand that that throne of David has eternal, uh, eternal relevance. This is something that's going to be seen throughout the scriptures now as we talk not only about his, you know, the history of David, but also the fact that the throne of David becomes something huge in the whole scheme of the biblical culture and the biblical understanding. But here's what I want us to make sure we understand. All of these symbols, all these pictures of David, the, the epic of David is so much more than just these historical facts. Let me see if I can make sure you understand this about David. One thing that we know that David has this incredibly significant role in what we have referred to in this, in this story as God's upper story. Because remember, as, as human beings, in, early in the story, we, we, we sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. We were separated from God. But God had designed from that point on that his, his goal was in the upper story is to get us back, to redeem the human race back to him. And so God had, had already had in mind his story in place to be able to, to, uh, to bring the human race back into a relationship with him. But from the very onset of when God made that prophecy that he would have this story in place, the enemy was out to destroy that, to sabotage that, to see that it doesn't happen. So what, some of the things that you're going to read about David and some of the things we see about him what we're seeing is this, what we see is lower story of where David lived, but this is all this conflict, this upper story that the devil's trying to stop what God was after. For instance, just thinking about David and Goliath and how powerful that story is, but do you realize that even the essence of that story is Satan was trying to stop God's plan? Because the chapter before that, David had been anointed, this shepherd boy had been anointed king, so what happens, the very next thing we see is a giant is trying to kill him. You see that Satan is in whatever way he can trying to stop God's plan. And if you w walk through David's life, you're going to see time, the, very, the chapters start very quickly after that where King Saul, who was currently the king, out of jealousy, hunts down David and tries to kill him over and over again, right? So you see this, this conflict, and all of this is trying to stop the plan of God. We have this, this wonderful picture, but what you see is God's plan at work, and Satan can't stop it. That's what I love about this. God's plan at work, and Satan, even at the end of, towards a, the later years of David's life, not only did he face a giant of epic proportions, this 10-foot Goliath, but what Goliath couldn't do to him, the glance of a naked woman in a bathtub just about wiped him out. And you understand, all of those things we learned from, but all of that was still the enemy's job, trying to stop God's plan. But through that, God still shows, but you can't stop me. You can't stop what I'm doing. And, and so what we see in David's life is this working of what God has in mind. But here's the second thing you've got to remember about David is as great a king as he was, the people were looking for the king that would, would be their perfect king, and David was the greatest. In fact, when you look, look at the Old Testament, every king that we see was always compared to David. He was either at, not as good as David or he was along the line of David, but every king referred back in comparison to David. So he was a great king in all of this, in, but he wasn't a perfect king. He made some mistakes not only in his personal life and his sin, but towards the end of his life, thousands of his own people that he was shepherding died because of his sin. He wasn't a perfect king. 
So what do we see? It's not there to mar, to mar his name and to take this epic out of it. This was, he was still a great man, but understand, he was just that, a man. What David's life is, is it's pointing us to something else. It's pointing us to a perfect king. He's pointing, David's life is just a, getting us ready for, for us to say that there is no perfect king here unless God provides a sinless, perfect king. And we know him to, be, to have the name of Jesus. He was born in this stable we've talked about the last couple of weeks. He lived a sinless life and ultimately died on the cross for the sins of all of the world and then was buried and rose again. And see, the, the story of David, the, the fact that people are looking for the perfect king, you're not going to find it even as great as David was. It's not David. It's Jesus. He's the only one that, that God has said. He's the only way to the Father. He's, and, and God has said, now listen, through, even through David, I want to point you to my son. I want, to, I want you to see that there is an answer for what you're going through. There is, an, uh, there is a perfect answer, and you're not going to find anything you do here or any person here, but you're going to find it in the person of Jesus. See, that's even, that's the big story of David is more than just the fun historical facts the epic proportions, it's where God is leading us in the story that he is developing. But even in David's story, there are also some practical things that we can, we can take and we can apply and we can learn from. And that's where I want to take us today. If you have your Bibles or you'll see a lot of the verses on your outlines today, 1 Chronicles chapter number 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, thousands of years after David's living here on earth, there's still things that God can also teach us just principles of life. And what we're finding in 1 Chronicles 28 is we've talked about who David was and some of the things he's known for, but now we're coming to the end of David's life. In fact, it's the very last, some of the last words, some of the last things that David will do. And the day that we're going to look at in 1 Chronicles 28 is, is a historic day in, in Israel's history. What we're having in this passage is the, the second king, David, is is leaving, literally. He's about, he's, his life is coming to an end. And so chapter 28 is the introduction and the commission of a new king for Israel. But this is a good thing. This wasn't a, you know, a hostile takeover. There weren't any bloody battles for this. Uh, they weren't recounting the votes, you know, or any of those kind of things. This was, this was something the people were looking forward to. This was a, an important day for Israel. And in this day, the king is going to be David's son by the name of Solomon. And so in some of his last words, some of his final things, David has this, uh, there were other people around, but uh, you kind of see this intimate, this intimate conversation with his son, charging him in front of all the people of what he, want, what he wants his son to know and to learn. And that's what we want to pick up today. First Chronicles 28, verse number 9. Listen to what the Bible says. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your fathers and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And I want to focus on verse 10. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Powerful words of encouragement. Powerful words of challenge. And I want to just take it, first of all, and just look at what he really is saying. In this, that, especially that last verse, David gives kind of a three-part message to his son. Let, let me see if I can pull it out for you. Let's look at it real quickly. Three parts of this. The first one he says basically to his son, realize this, son. He, he says, realize that God has a plan for your life. He starts that, that, that verse off with these, my translation says, consider now. Yours may say, take heed or recognize or realize. What he's saying is, set up and take notice, Solomon. There's something here, and then the very next words is, for the Lord has chosen you. He said, Solomon, I want you to get this. God has a plan for you. God, that you're not here by accident. There, that God has a specific design for your life. Now, David is a perfect one to be saying something like this. Because David has to be, in my opinion, has to be thinking back to one of his early experiences when he talks about the, the way God chooses people. In fact, he described it earlier in this same passage in verse number 4 when he talked about that the Lord God of Israel chose me. This is David speaking. And notice how he said it. He chose me from my whole family to be king. Now, in case you're unfamiliar with the story, you can find it in 1 Samuel chapter 16. But David... 
was the one that God chose, but nobody in his household thought that would ever happen. And if you were there, it kind of describes it this way. He was the youngest of eight brothers, and, and their dad is supposed to bring all the sons to see which one's going to be king, and they brought all the sons except David. They left David out in the, David can't be the king. They left him out in the field taking care of the sheep, and they brought in all the other strong, strapping sons to be, and they're going one by one through them and said, not him, not him, not him, not him. Don't you have any more? Eh, well, we got David. David's not the king. couldn't be David, right? David's not the choice. And so David knew exactly because when he came before him, God said to Samuel, that's the one. David knew what it means to be chosen by God, to be one that's specifically taken out and chosen. And, and he goes on to say in verse 5, he said, so like that, Solomon, he said, out of all my sons, and David says, and I have a lot of them, he did, he had several wives and he had several sons, and he said, of all of my sons, Solomon, you're the one God has chosen. God has a plan for you. God has put you here for a reason. God has a design for your life. In verse 5 and 6, describe it. You were chosen. You're chosen. You're going to be the next king, Solomon. He also says you're going to build God a house. That's huge. God has never said he wanted a, a permanent house yet, but now you're going to build him a permanent dwelling, a sanctuary, a temple. And he says in verse 6, and God has chosen you to be his son and you and his son and you, and he will be your father. I mean, this relationship that God has chosen for him. And so summarizes it in verse 10. Basically he says, listen, the Lord chose me, and just like he chose me, the Lord has chosen you, Solomon. God has a unique plan for your life. Look at the second thing from this verse. It leads us to the second thought, and that is, Solomon, remember that this is not your plan. God has a plan for your life, but this is not your plan. This is not something that you have designed or come up with. The Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary, according to verse 10. This plan is bigger than you. This plan is not about you. God has chosen you to do something for him, and this is his plan. In fact, if you go back to verse 2 and 3, you'll see that David was the one who wanted to build God a house. And that's a great thing. David had in mind in verses 2 and 3, he said, it was in my heart to build God this house. And it was his sign, I want to bring worship. I want to honor God. That was his heart. But God said, not you, David. You're not the one. I mean, as great as David, all the things he had done, and, and a great warrior, and great king, but, but he said, but you're not the one. You've, you've, you've had too much blood on your hands. This isn't the job for you, David, but I have chosen your son to do that. I, I've chosen your son to be, to be the one to, to, to do what God has called you. He said, David, you're the one that is going to set it all up. But I'm calling your son specifically. This is my plan. This is how I want to do it. And verses 11 through 19, David has, God has given him a plan. In fact, verse 19, he says, this wasn't for me. This was God. He gave him specific plans on how much gold to use, how much this to use. I mean, we're talking about specific instructions on what God to do. Do you understand what he's saying? Is Solomon, I have a plan for you, but do it my way. This is my plan. This isn't something you've come up with. This isn't, and in fact, if you understand it, this is my plan. So there's going to be some that are going to doubt it. They're going to say, oh, wait, you know, Solomon, that's not going to work. Solomon, that can't be the right way. And Solomon's going to go, but this isn't my plan, folks. This is God's plan. I, I got it right here. This is what God said to do. Solomon, Solomon can take the doubters and say, you, you can take it up with God, but this is, what, this is God's plan for us. Understand, if it's God's plan, then Solomon can't ultimately take credit for it. He can't ultimately say, look what I did, because it just he's just following God's instructions, and he doesn't have the prerogative to change it. This is what God said that we're to do. I got specific instructions. It is a plan God has, but it is God's plan. And because of the size of this plan, even the nature of what it was, I mean, this has eternal consequences now. He says, this isn't something you can do alone, Solomon. This isn't something that you have the strength. Solomon, you're going to be a wise man. You're going to do some great things. But this isn't a plan that you can pull off even on your own. In fact, if you go to chapter 29 and verse 1, listen how David describes it. David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. But notice this. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. Let's get that in perspective, Solomon. I've called you. I've got a plan for you. This is not your plan. What I've called you to do is a work for me. 
You can't take credit for it. You can't do it on your own. This is my plan for you. So God's got a plan. It's God's plan, not yours. Third thing about this message is simply what he says. So Solomon, be confident and get to work. Be confident and do what I told you to do. He simply says, be strong and do the work. Be strong, courageous, be confident, and now get busy. I've called you, got a plan, given it to you. It's not your plan, it's my plan, now do it. You see, Nike thought they had come up with something really great in 1988 with their whole thing of just do it. (laughs) You know, they stole the patent from God. (laughs) Because God told Solomon thousands of years ago, here's your plan, here's what I want you to do. Now do it. You see, that's kind of God's, God's MO through the scriptures. Here's what I have you to do. Oh, thank you, God. Now do it. I didn't just give it to you. I didn't just write this. I didn't just say this to, to humor you. I did this to show you what to do. Now do it. There's urgency in David's voice. Don't put it off, Solomon. Solomon, don't get distracted. Solomon, don't let something else get in the way. This is God's plan. This is what he has for you to do. Be strong and do it. Okay, so let's review. Uh, you see the three things back on the screen again. I want you to, see, to remember these things. Realize that God has a plan for your life. That's what he told Solomon. He said, Solomon, remember that this is not your plan. And finally, he says, and Solomon, be confident and, and let's, let's do it. Now, I want to take the, that, that same, those same thoughts, and I want us to now turn this to, to where we are today, 21st century. But with that being said, we have to be careful. Let me just, make, not a warning, but just a, just a kind of a reminder. That anytime you look at the Old Testament, you've got to make sure that you understand that not everything that was written in the Old Testament was necessarily written for you. It was written for people then. And so we can't, we can't just arbitrarily claim what thoughts and promises that God has made because some of these were not written for our benefit. They're written for others, and we can learn from them. There's principles. Uh, for instance, let's look at this passage. I don't think there's anybody in here that's going to be a king anytime soon. Now, you might be president. I mean, strange things do happen, right? I mean, you could be president someday. I I don't know, but probably not. So this doesn't just correlate. We're talking about this was a big day. This was a coronation day. This was a commissioning day. So we're not there exactly in that spot. But there are some principles that that we can see through this that that I want to take and apply to us. I want to use those closing words of encouragement that David gave to his son Solomon And because not only are they just great words, but you're also going to find them reinforced throughout Scripture for all of God's people, including us today. So we take those two things together, and I want us to see them for us. I want you to see them for you. Could this be epic in your life, 2017, or just your life in general? Let's look at these. So so look on the screen. Now we're talking about our story. And I want you to look at those three things again and apply them personally to you. Here's what we learn from Scripture. Realize that God has a plan for your life. Remember, that's not your plan, but it's God's. And finally, when you get that in your head, be confident and do it. Do the work that God has called for you to do. Let me just walk through this for a minute and throw, throw some, some ideas, some thoughts, and hear from other parts of Scripture. When we talk about God choosing us, for instance, God has a plan for you. If you listen to the words of Peter, 1 Peter chapter number 2, listen how Peter describes disciples, followers of Christ. Could you pull that up on the screen, please? 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to how Peter describes us. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who, are call, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. If you have accepted Christ, you are a follower of his. You've, the gospel has changed your life, and you're, you're now walking with Christ. This describes you. You have been chosen. You have been pulled out of, of, of the culture, out of the society, from darkness into light. And look what it says. I love this next part. And once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God chooses you to be his child, and you become one of his because he has put that in, in your life, and you are now one of God's children. And now if you're one of, a child of God, he now has a plan, a design, a work for you to do. He created before the world began. He already created in you to do the works that he has planned for you. You are chosen. Not anything different than in, in the sense of Moses or David or Esther or Paul. They, they did what God called them to do, but you are a chosen vessel of God. God has made a plan for you to do. You yourself, God has a plan for you. Look at the second thought. If you go to Ephesians chapter 3, you'll understand that this plan, it's not your plan. In fact, it's a lot bigger than you could ever come up with, and you can't do it on your own. Look how Ephesians put it this way. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according, listen to this, according to his power, that is work at work where? Within us. As a follower of Christ, there is a spirit living in you. There is a, not only a task, there is a power within you. And notice, within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. When this epic is done, your life, who gets the glory? God does. Do you realize as a church, as a congregation of chosen people together, this, this group, God has a plan for us. And as he said, who gets the glory in the church? Jesus Christ. God has a plan for us. God's plan is bigger than we could ever think of, and we can't do it on our own. But we can do it because it's God's plan. Do you get that? But then the last, we talk about doing, just being confident in doing it. My, my question is, what's stopping you from taking your next step in what God has? What's stopping you? What's distracting you? What's keeping you? Is it fear? Is it, is it doubt? Is it bad experience? Is it something you thought you, you had, something happened in church before with you? Something happened to someone did this to you? What is keeping you? Is it a relationship? What is keeping you from taking the next step? Because the goal is this, be confident and do. God's got a plan for you. It's not your plan, it's his. So be confident and do it. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Just do it is what God says. I've called you. I've got a plan for you. It's bigger than you, but I'll work through you. You can do it. So do it. That's what God has in mind for us. Before I wrap this up, I want to I share something with you that um, this may seem a bit unusual, but if you've been in this church long enough, I'm just kind of a weird guy sometimes. So this, some of this isn't that unusual but I want to share with you something that, that I, I want to say. I think the timing for us is perfect. It's something that, that I've, I've thought about for some time, but I think the timing for us is perfect. It's the beginning of a new year. We're, we're our, our life groups, we're kind of between sessions. We've already had a couple of services like this. So here's what we're going to do. You, you saw some signs maybe as you came in. Probably didn't. Sometimes you just walk right past things you'll never notice. So you'll see them on your way out, okay? But there are some signs that telling you starting next Sunday, for the next three Sundays, the 8th, the 15th, and the 22nd, as a church, we're going to have one service. We're going to have a combined service together, and we're going to, at 9.30, the next three Sundays. So write that down. Take your calendars. Yes, I said 9.30, okay? Next three Sundays. Okay, I just got to reiterate, okay? So some of you turn up your hearing aids. Get this, okay? Hear what I'm saying. Next three Sundays, 9.30 a.m., the goal is tell, <laughs> what did you just say? I saw somebody actually do that, okay? So 9.30, next three Sundays, Rick, should, I mean, but anyway, whoever that was that did that, the, the point is, we're, we, here's what I want to do for the next three Sundays. Next three Sundays, part of it is it's uh, it, where we are and, and where we are in life, it allows us to do this. It allows us, I know the room will be packed, and I, I pray that it just gets more, we'll put out more chairs. That'll be fantastic. But it, there's also something about us in unity just re, reliving some of these things together. We're going to talk about where, where I think God has the God plan that he has for us and the vision that God has for us. I also want to look at some of the ways as we've talked this morning, even about reminding us that it's his plans and it needs to be done his way and talk about what that looks for us and then just motivate us to do it, to, to take some steps that we need to take. Not only is it we'll be doing this together, which I think will be really nice for a few weeks, but it also, it's hard to repeat some of these sermons two times on a Sunday. 
If you've not tried that, it is difficult. And I think it's just, I want to just do it one time and as a family to do it together. So for the next three Sundays, what time are we meeting? 9.30. The 8th to 5th. You're going to have to tell some people that aren't here today. We're going to send out an email. We'll send out a letter, all those kind of things. But just spread the word. For the next three Sundays, we're going to take this time and talk about those. We're calling it the Journey 2017, Calvary's Next Steps. The idea of what has God planned, not only for you, God has a plan for you. What has God planned for us? He has a plan for us. And we're going to wrap it all up on on January 22nd at 5 o'clock with our administration meeting. We'll just have a party celebrating what God has done, what God is going to do. So that's that's what our goal is for the the next couple of weeks. So my prayer is that you'll make it a priority. Please be here every week for the next three weeks. Be here and pray before you get here. And pray throughout the week as the Lord is preparing my heart for what we're going to say and what we're going to learn. And let's make these next three weeks something, I I just can't wait to see what God's going to do. Which leads me to some final thoughts from this passage that I want us to to think about. Right before verse 10, where Solomon gets these wonderful instructions from his dad about, consider this, God's chosen you, you've got a, a unique plan, and now go and do it. Verse number 9 is really a verse of preparation. He's getting him ready. He's challenging him to say, listen, if you want to be truly effective, here's some things you need to do in preparing your life, preparing your heart for what God has for you to do, Solomon. So let me just give you those today as a personal preparation. If, if you, I pray that you really want to see what God's going to do and you're ready, we're going to do this together. But if we're going to be successful, here's some things that we need to prepare. Let me read the verse for you again. Verse number 9 The Bible says this, and and you, Solomon, my son, or my son, Solomon, acknowledge or know the God of your father. Serve him with a wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he'll be found by you, but if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. Let me just talk about some ways I would encourage you for us to be prepared to see what God has and, and to move forward. The first thing he tells him is you need to know God. Depending on your version, it may say acknowledge God. But both of those words lose some things in our English translation. And let me explain why. He's not just saying you need to know God, you know, like a study, someone in the study, and you just get all the information about God. Neither is he saying you need to acknowledge him to say, well, sure, I, I know that there's a God. It's, it's deeper than that. The idea of that word know, most commentators would tell you it means this. It's an experiential acquaintance. It's a, it's a close, intimate, ongoing, thorough understanding of who God is. Here, in essence, here's what, da- what David's saying to Solomon. Solomon, my secret for success over these years has been my relationship with God. And that will be your secret as well. Church, we're not going to do what God wants us to do because we're anything special. Our relationship with God is the key and us growing to know him and to grow in in our walk with him. Last January, I was just thinking about this as I thought this week. Last January, I challenged several of you, if you would, to to just take a journey with me through the scriptures. And it gave you an instrument called the the life journal. Folks, I've been reading the Bible for a lot of years, and I'll be honest, this has been one of the greatest things that I did throughout an annual year. Because you read through it, and then you take and you stop and you meditate on what you just read. You do a, we call it the soap method. You look and you, you look through and you find what, what God's saying and what God's saying to me. Man, I got some great, this is, I'm on book two already for this year. It's just, that's how it was exciting to me. But it's not, whether it's this or whatever, here's my challenge. God wants you to know him. And, and you're not going to know him unless you're, you're spending time with him, unless you're, the word is becoming more part of your life. So as we start January, let me just challenge you. We need to know God. It, it's not an accident that the, that the commandment that God gave his people, and it's still repeated to this day, and Jesus actually repeats it in Matthew 22, the, the great, and he calls it the greatest commandment. Do you remember what that is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. Well, the, the thing that God says is so important is that you love him, that you know him. Prepare our hearts. This week, I just want to even challenge you as we get ready for next week. Just commit to God. I want to know you better a little bit each day. And let's see how God prepares our heart. But that's not the only word that's in this verse. He says, know him. And then he says, serve him. Serve's a big word so throughout the scriptures. It, it literally, what we're saying is, Acknowledge God as your master. Acknowledge him as the one who's in charge. 
you serve him, you surrender yourself to whatever he says that he wants you to do and whatever he's going to ask you to do. You, that's what it means to serve him, to, to let your life be used by him, whatever way he says. Do you remember what Joshua said towards the end of his life? He said, but if serving the Lord, he's talking to people before he leaves, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, listen to his words. Well, this is, he gets right to the chase. He says, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Let me stop right there. It, he goes on to describe things that distracted them. I mean, we have, they were, there was other gods. There was pagan worship and all the idols. And he says, if, if you want to, that's what you want to serve, you want to go that direction. But let's be honest, 21st century America, some of that stuff doesn't make sense. What is it that might distract us from wanting to serve him? Maybe it's our work. Maybe it's our education. Could be family. Could be relationships. Could be entertainment. Could be education. None of those things are bad in of themselves. But he says, here's the thing. Are you willing to say, God, I serve you first? Or are you going to allow these other things to distract you from truly serving him? Because he said, and this is the famous one, but as for me and my household, what are we going to do? We're going to serve the Lord, right? That's the, that's the prayer that should be upon our heart. If you want to prepare your heart, know God. Let that become a part of that. It's a daily growth in your life. Serve him. And then he adds two other words to the word serve. Did you notice? He said serve him wholeheartedly with everything you got. Give him your full devotion because he's worthy. He deserves your absolute best. It's not serving him with your leftovers. It's serving him with the very essence of your heart. You serve him wholeheartedly. And then he uses another word, not only wholeheartedly, but serve God willingly. Serve God because you want to. Now, let's be honest. Can we be honest for a second? I know that doesn't happen a whole lot, but let's be honest for a second. Sometimes in life, we do what we have to do because we have to do it. It's a duty. It's a responsibility, even when it comes to serving God. Let's just be honest. There, that might be a season of our life. It might be, but, and we know we just, we do it. That's what we're supposed to do. We do it, and, and part of serving God is the same way. It's a matter of there are days I'm not going to feel like doing it. But there is a very important principle of Scripture that the more I know of who God is and the more I recognize of what God has done for me and the more I grow in my knowledge of him and this relationship with him grows, the more that becomes the exception. And what I'm doing to serving God is because I want to. It's because this is what, this is what my, my worship to him involves is serving him. And that's where he's saying, Solomon, that's where you need to get to, is you know God. And then that knowledge comes from as you're serving him with all of your heart and you're serving him because you want to. And you're doing, if you're having trouble in, in your service to God and it's, it's a matter of you're struggling with this, you're not really enjoying it like you have. And here's the thing maybe it's a season. Let's just be honest. It could be just a season of life, so keep at it. But if we're struggling with something, struggling with even the joy of service, it's probably not the service that's the problem. The problem is something in our heart. I don't know what that is. The heart is everything. The heart is maybe it's a relation, maybe it is your relationship with God. Maybe it's a relationship with another brother or sister in Christ. There's a heart issue because service to God, once you realize who he is and what he's done, should be something that we do because we, we truly desire it. We want to do it. So this becomes an evaluation tool. If my service is not the, the way it should be, then I need to stop and say, so, so what's wrong? What is it that needs to change? Is this a season or is there something that needs to, to, to be affected in my life because God says I can serve him and I, he wants me to serve him from a heart that's willing to serve him. And David would know about that because he also says right in the middle of verse 9, for the Lord searches every heart. And he understands every desire and thought. Again, David's got to be thinking back to that original meeting with he and Samuel because Samuel, before he ever saw David, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, here's what God said to Samuel. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. You see, it's important to remember that, that people, you and I, we're going to misjudge people. That's just because we only have a certain amount of information. We can only see certain things. 
And so we really only have the outward to look at. And so sometimes we're going to misjudge situations. Sometimes, positively, we give more credit than credit's due. And then a lot of times it's negative. We, we jump to conclusions that we shouldn't because we only have a limited amount of information. That's what people do. We look at the outward appearance. That's what he's saying. But God has a whole different perspective. Because when God looks at you, your outward appearance doesn't affect what he knows to be true in your heart. Here's what I can tell you about God. He never misjudges you. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He never misjudges you one way or the other. He knows and his, he's willing to, to, to look and just show you. He never misjudges you. And get this, you can't fool God. You can fool a lot of people. You can get the outward looking pretty snazzy, right? But the heart's a whole different issue. And when God, he looks past everything you've tried to veneer, and he looks right at the heart. He, you can't fool God. He knows what's going on in here. And David realized that. David knew that. And so other words of David, Psalm 139, listen to what David said. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's prepare ourselves for what God's going to do. Know God. Commit to, to having your relationship grow every day in some form to know him better. Serve him. Serve him with all of your heart. Serve him because you love him and you want to because God's looking and saying, what you're serving, I want you to continue to serve, but understand, I see where, where it really is. I see, what it's, I see your heart. So let God search your heart and say, God, I'm going to open up this week. Show me my heart. Is there anything that needs to change? Is there any wickedness, any evil? Is there any bad motives? Is there anything that, God, just take... Search this thing in here because I want it to be, I want to be able to serve you wholehearted with everything that I've got. Make any changes you want, God. Last thing I want you to hear about, not only was there personal preparation, that's our part. But God makes some specific promises to Solomon through David. And I think we can still hear these today in our lives. Here's what he said in verse 20. He repeats something we heard earlier. He says, be strong and courageous and do the work. Solomon, here's what you got to do. Now do it. But notice, do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Solomon, do it. This is what God's called you to do. Do it. And when you're afraid, when you're discouraged, remember a couple of things. Number one, God is with you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, God is with you. God has this plan for you. It's his plan. I can never, I can never get past this. As Jesus wraps up his commission to his disciples, remember what he said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Christians, we have the same promise that Solomon received. God's got a plan for you. God wants you to do his plan, and he will, always, he will be with you. He, he is with you 24-7, 365. God is with us, and notice he says, and God will not fail you. Some of the things that we're going to try and that you try in your life this year and your life, they, they don't work, do they? You go, oops. <laughs> Some of the things that we try, we fail. We're going to fail people. We're going to fail in our attempts because that's who we're human. David was a great king. David wasn't a perfect king. You're going to do some, God's going to do some great things in your life, but you're going to have times when you fail. You're going to make mistakes. You are going to get discouraged. I am going to get discouraged. I'm going to want to quit. I'm going to want to stop. What God, I, I know that. That's just me. I know it's, I'm already wired to understand that those things will happen. And, and when all that happens and I'm wanting to quit and fail, here's one thing I can remember. God will never fail me. God sees my weaknesses, God sees yours, and he will not fail. Another psalmist wrote these words, and I want to close with this verse. Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Your heart, your initiative, your motivation, your abilities, they will fail. But God's the strength of your heart, the God that will never leave you, the God that will never fail you. God has a plan for your life. It's not your plan. So be strong, be confident, and let's do it. Let's do it together.
bow your heads with me, please, this morning. Heads bowed and eyes are closed. I want to start, I want to end this service by starting the new year off together by just spending some time and let's just pray together as a congregation, an assembly of God's chosen people. So this morning, I don't know what God may have said to you through this, this time we've been together, but let me offer a couple of, of thoughts that may have come to your heart, your heart and to your mind. Number one, let me ask you this. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? The Jesus who lived a sinless life, died for your sins, and rose again, do you know him personally? Do, can you know God because you are one of his children? And you know that without any doubt. There's been a time in your life when that became a reality. Do you know Christ as your Savior? If not, what a way to start the year, to turn your life to Christ and say, God, forgive me my sins and to save me. So that may be where you're at today. Maybe as a Christian, you just, you've been reminded <laughs> that there is a plan for you. It's bigger than you've ever imagined. But what an amazing thing that as God's child, God's got to work for you. And maybe it's just a matter of God, for whatever reason, I've backed off from doing what I've call, been called to do. Or I'm, I'm, I've struggled for whatever reason. And today, it's just a matter of, hey, let's get back in the game. Be confident. Do what God has called you to do. What is it that God's saying to you today? Chris is going to continue playing. and Here's what I want us to do today. I want us to just take some time and across this audience, just commit our lives, our church this year into prayer. So maybe you want to pray on your own individually. You can pray where you're seated. You're welcome to come here and pray here at the front. Someone will pray with you. If you'd like to know more about receiving Christ, I'd be glad to pray with you and show you how that looks. So you can do that. Or, But I would also encourage you maybe to take the hand of your spouse or a friend or someone in your family or maybe you gather together in your groups or in just all across this audience, twos, threes, fours around here, and let's just take some time and let's just pray to God about what his plan is for us and what my part is and how I can prepare my heart. So I'm going to start us off. I want to pray for you, and then I would just take, encourage you to take some time, grab a friend's hand, and just spend some time praying together as we jump into this new year, 2017. So, Father, I, I, I think we've just heard a rem reminder of what it means to know that you have a plan for each of us. None of us are here in this room by accident. We're on, not on this earth by accident. Lord, whatever that looks like in our life, please speak to us today. If there's one here that's lost without a Savior, would you please draw them to the, to the cross to know who it is that died for them and to know him as their Savior. For Christians across this audience, help us to commit ourselves from this day and through this year to do what you've called us to do. So, Lord, we're just going to spend some time and just offer that prayer up to you. Please bless this time of prayer this morning. Chris is going to play. I encourage you, let's just take some time and pray together this morning. Would you do that today?